Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Before we dive into today's message, we would like to share a unique opportunity with you. On Saturday, April 2nd, we will be hosting our second annual Quest 5K Run and 1K Family Walk to meet the needs in our own backyard. This year, all proceeds will benefit Westerville Area Resource Ministry and Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Ohio. Registration for runners, walkers, donors, and sponsors are open now at gotoquest.org slash 5K. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org slash 5K. Now, let's dive into today's message. So as we were getting ready for this morning, knowing that Ross was going to be away uh, and knowing that I was going to be exhausted from the lock-in, uh, I sent an email out last week just asking a couple of area pastors if they might be willing to fill in for Ross. And I'm so blessed by the Vineyard Association of Churches. Uh, we, we got like five pastors who were willing to come in and, and help us. And, and so um, this morning, uh, Simon Forsyth, he's the lead pastor at Life uh, Vineyard in Bexley. He's coming to share with us and I'm just so blessed by uh, his words and and it's it's just a great a great morning and a great service and so uh, please welcome Simon as he comes to uh, share with us good morning this is uh, I always we have two services at our church and I always tell the second service that they are the most attractive service but the other service is really ugly, and it's true here as well. You guys are so, way more attractive than the first service. Do you do that? Oh. All right. Well, you're going to notice that I have an accent as well. It's definitely not as cool as Sarah as I wish I was French. I grew up in Northern Ireland. I was born in Northern Ireland just outside of a city called Belfast in the 1970s. And if you know anything about Belfast in the 1970s, it was quite an interesting place. And so uh, I moved uh, when I was 12 years old to Australia. I lived in uh, Sydney, Australia, and I uh, grew up as a surfer on the beach. I, could, I used to complain about the noise of the waves in our house, and now I'm really regretting that as I drive around the frozen tundra called Columbus. And uh, so I've been here about 13 years, and I actually became an American citizen last year. And uh, yeah, and always get to clap, always get to clap, just in time to be the deciding vote in this year's election. And so. Uh, they are all battling for my vote. And uh, I love American politics. And, and, you know, it's dangerous getting into church and talking about politics. And uh, our church is interesting in, in that some churches would lean red or kind of Republican. And some would lean blue, Democratic. Ours is purple. And, uh, you know, it's a great mix. And so it's, it's, it's fun to pastor there because you don't know what you're going to say or who you're going to upset. And uh, <laughs> I've made a few jokes about Donald Trump and... Uh, you know, some people laugh and some people scowl and, you know, I just, you know, when you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to take these things as serious as, as sometimes we get all worked up about. Just in my opinion. And that's not my sermon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop with the politics now. Alright? So I understand you've been in a series where you've been talking about, uh, Peter's comments in 1st Peter, where he says that we are supposed to have a defense of this hope that we have in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but, this concept that we're supposed to defend this hope that we have, I find it quite intimidating. Because at times, I don't have a lot of confidence in my hope. Right? I, at times, I don't know about you, but there are times, even as a pastor of a church, I have doubts about my faith. 
There are times when I pray and the words come out of my mouth and they drop to the floor quicker than I think they could ever go up to heaven. And so I find it quite intimidating and complicated to really wrestle with the fact that I am responsible for defending this faith that we call Christianity. And so this morning, and to be honest with you, I think that really, when I first came to America, I felt like God was saying to me, I want you to go to America to be a missionary. And I, that, at the time, I thought that was quite interesting because, you know, America is the country that sends missionaries all over the world. And I didn't understand what God meant by sending me and my wife and my little baby boy to America to be a missionary until I got here and went to church. And I realized that the American style of Christianity can be one of the most toxic environments to actually be a Christian in. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that crazy? That you can actually sit in church your entire life and have no relationship with Jesus. The Bible calls it a form of godliness, but we completely deny its power. Well, now I'm starting to offend people, you know. You know? But so we have this, this verse in Peter that says, defend your hope. But my problem as a pastor is that I don't think there's a lot of genuine, authentic hope going around these days. I don't think there's a lot of authentic, genuine faith really being taught these days. And so we have this form of godliness. I would call it religion. And so when Peter's talking about defending this hope, he's not talking about defending Quest Community Church or the Vineyard Movement or your own personal dogma. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to put it to you another way. If we were sitting down, and I'm a little bit of a coffee snob, so we wouldn't be sitting at Starbucks. That's like, that's like people, that's, that's terrible. Does anyone here work at Starbucks? I heard there's some Crimson Cup people here. Is that right? Our church is right next to your building. I know. Yeah. I call, I'm going to, I may offend someone here, but I call Starbucks coffee poop coffee. Is that all right? Anyway, so I, I like to, I'm a coffee connoisseur, so if we were sitting at a really good coffee shop, maybe having a Chemex or like a, some kind of really cool, trendy, hipster way of brewing coffee, if we were sitting down and you were relaxed and I was relaxed and we were just shooting the breeze and there was no pressure, it wasn't like some type of spiritual test from a pastor, it was just two people sitting down talking, and I asked you the question, who was the overseer or who was the shepherd of your soul? Who shepherds your soul? Who is the ultimate shepherd of how you live your life? Would you be able to give me an answer? Would you be able to give me a name? Would you, would you be able to articulate who oversees your soul? And if you could, could you tell me why such a person receives such an honor to oversee your soul? You see, I don't think a lot of Christians really can answer that question. Who oversees your soul? Who's the shepherd of your life? And why are they the shepherd of your life? You see, Scripture is full, Old Testament and New Testament. It's full of this shepherd-sheep narrative. It's full of it. And I think it goes back to the fact that the message was given within an agricultural society. So this concept of shepherd and sheep as a way of communicating God's desire to care for us made sense. But we live in 2016. And the thing about this shepherd and sheep narrative is I think that it communicates across millennia. I think everybody can understand shepherd and sheep. It cuts across culture, whether you're in Cambodia or India or Japan or Argentina. It doesn't matter, Australia. 
uh, New Zealand. It definitely works in New Zealand, you know. <laughs> uh, but if you, it doesn't matter where you are. The shepherd sheep narrative makes sense because it speaks to the human condition. Isaiah in verse fifty-three, uh, in chapter fifty-three, verse six, said this. He said that we are all like sheep. We've all gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. You can look at that sheep's eyes. You can see it's an evil sheep right there. He's, <laughs> he's looking at the shepherd and saying, forget you, I'm out of here. Now, as we meet this morning to wrestle with this concept of defending our hope, I mean, if you're honest, you know that it's not a hope that you found. It's not a hope that you discovered and you didn't lift up some spiritual rock and there was hope is waiting to be discovered. No, the longer you wrestle with this hope, you realize that it has pursued you. It found you. It consumed you. This hope that we hold on to, that he wants us to defend, to defend is something that has grabbed the hold of us. And so I want you to ask the question, who is the shepherd of my soul? Because... To fully understand that question, to answer that question well, to truly understand hope, it's at that point that you can defend your faith. Now, if you're being honest this morning, you'll admit that every single one of us requires someone to guide us. We can't just self-actuate. Every single one of us. I don't care what your personality test says. My wife and I did a personality test last night, and it revealed that I am a lover, okay, which is great on Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. I am a lover. I love with great velocity. I feel everything. I'm, I'm a romantic. I'm emotional. That's the good side of me. The bad side is that I'm so sensitive and so moody that it can be really difficult to be in a room with me, and so my wife needs your prayers. You know, but God in all of his wisdom saw that it was important that if, because I was a lover, that he should put me with a fighter, right? And so my wife is just like kick butt and, you know, anyway, you are not my marriage counselor. (laughs) But I need my wife. She needs me. We need other people in our lives. We cannot go through life on our own making decisions just for ourselves. We need help. So this morning, I want you to ask yourself, who is that person in my life? Who is it in my life? And this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to a passage of Scripture that has been put on tacky Christian artwork for thousands of years. It's in pro- Maybe it's in your bathroom. Maybe it's on your coffee cup. Maybe it's tattooed on your lower back. I don't know. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is where we're going this morning. It's a very well-known passage of Scripture. Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. King David says, the Lord is my shepherd. If I had been sitting down with him in a coffee shop. And I said, David, who is your shepherd? 
He has said, the Lord is my shepherd. Which is interesting because David is a shepherd. And so for him to say that the Lord is his shepherd is a big deal. It's like asking a mechanic who fixes your car. It's like asking a hairdresser who cuts your hair. Right? It's important. He's saying, who shepherds your soul, David? The Lord is my shepherd. Now I, at 18 years old, in Australia, surfing. Oh, those are the days, you know. God speaks to me. I'd grown up in religious Ireland. I wanted nothing to do with religion. I go to a church because my parents forced me to go. And the pastor, the entire time, his beady little eyes were just staring at me the entire service. And I got up. He had an altar call at the end for salvation. I got up and I didn't know what my feet were doing. I walked to the back and sat in the, in the restroom because I was so shy and so afraid. And I didn't know what to do. And I'm sitting in the toilet and I pray. I really, I just pray to God, God, I guess I want to go up, but I'm too afraid to go up. And I get back to my seat and my dad's standing there crying. And God had spoken to him and said, Go up with your son. And so I walked down the front of the church with my dad, who's this tall, you know. And I gave my heart to the Lord. And that was when I was 18 years old. He completely changed my life. But what? I'm 42 now. And the Lord is still my shepherd. So why? This morning, I want to defend to you this morning my hope. I want to defend why I have chosen to make the Lord my shepherd. Why I have chosen Jesus Christ as a shepherd of my soul. Is that alright? Sit back, relax, enjoy. Alright? The first reason why I have made the Lord my shepherd, and I think that you should make Him your shepherd, is that Jesus is a shepherd who shows great compassion to His sheep. If you've got your Bibles there, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 9. He shows compassion to his sheep. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now I'll tell you today, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Another way of saying that is, people, our city, our culture, our country, is a country of sheep without a shepherd. The only problem is that Christians have forgotten how to defend the hope that's going on in their own lives because we have drunk the Kool-Aid called religion or American Christianity. It's a form of godliness, denies all of its power, and our churches have become Christian ghettos. And what I mean by that is we think that God called us out of the world into the church. Alright? So we're not in the world. We're out of the world. But, but He never called us out of the world. He said, "Be don't be... Let me get this right. I'm Irish now. I'll set it back. He wants you to be in the world, but not of the world. Do you get what I'm saying? He wants you to be in the world, but not of the world. The problem is with American Christianity is we're not in the world. We're in the church, but we're still of the world in here. 
There's the same junk that goes on inside the walls. I'm not picking on Quest Community Church. I'm picking on every American church in America because we're, it's full of Americans. But there's the same bitterness, pride, jealousy, anger, lust, fear, resentment, unforgiveness, divorce, whatever, whatever, whatever affliction you want to talk about, it's in here. And I believe it's because we've lost sight of who the overseer of our soul is. And Jesus said, pray, because we need people out there. We need people talking to these people. that They're lost. They're harassed. They're, being, they're just being destroyed by 2016. And the word compassion, we would translate it as being sympathy. I don't know about you, but when I see stuff about... Uh, refugees, whether it's in uh, Greece or in Syria, or where I see stuff that's going on in the world on CNN that comes up on the screen, I feel compassion. But it's really, I mean, it's sympathy because I feel terrible and then I go back to my life. I feel terrible and then I download a game on my phone and play an app on my phone. I feel terrible and then I go to the movies with my friends. It's compassion, but it's sympathy. It doesn't change the direction of my life. But Jesus, when he had compassion, and the New Testament isn't written in English. Did you know that? It's actually written in Irish. No, that's not true. It's written written in Greek. And the word for compassion here, I'm going to put it up on the screen because it's such a good word. It's the word splachnesomai. There it is there. Splachnesomai. Now, if you're pregnant, I saw there's a lady out there in the, the, in the cafe, and she's about to have a baby on Tuesday, and I know it's a boy. I think Splachnesomai would be a great name, right? <laughs> Splachnesomai. What does your name mean? It means compassion. Splachnesomai. Now, the thing about the Greek language, it explodes into meaning. You know, when we, when we, when we look at the Greek language, it, it means more than just sympathy. This word for sympathy means a deep yearning in our bowels. That's what, that, means, that sounds dangerous. A deep yearning in our bowels. It means a visceral reaction. Jesus saw that they didn't have a shepherd. He felt splachnizomai. He felt a deep yearning to the point that it changed the direction of his life. Jesus went to the cross because he had compassion. How many of you feel such a compassion for people that it changes the direction of your life? This is the type of compassion that Jesus has for us. And as we follow him, it gets on us. We start to feel compassion for people like this. Not just sympathy, but compassion. Where it changes the way we do things or say things. How many of you, have a friend or a colleague at work has said, I've got a sore back and you feel sympathy for them? Well, it sucks to be you, you know, I'm really sorry about that. But instead, he wants you to have compassion, splachnisomai, yearning. We have silver and gold, I don't have you, have, but I can pray for you. How many of us have opportunities to just introduce people to the shepherds of our soul? We've experienced healing. We've experienced the love of God. And we just hold it back like it's ours. I felt challenged by this. And so, uh, I have to be honest with the real reason I chose to do this. I didn't tell the first service. but uh, So, in becoming an American, I feel like I lost part of my original culture. Right? I'm Irish. And so, 
Uh, this week I'm traveling to Marquette, Michigan, which is 10 hours away, to get a tattoo on my arm of St. Patrick, right? Now my wife has said that I'm in midlife crisis. It could be true, all right? She said, you're in midlife crisis and you are not paying for a tattoo out of your own money. Find another way, okay? So what did I do? I am, a, I am Columbus's newest Uber driver, all right? Has anyone here had an Uber driver? Anyone have, have driven Uber? A few of you. So I decided, because I'm, I'm a little extreme, so I wait for my very first night to drive to be New Year's Eve in Columbus. And let me tell you about this city. You think this city goes to sleep at 7 or 8 o'clock? No, sirree. At 3 o'clock in the morning, this place is pumping. It's crazy. I picked up a group of young Indian girls off on Lane Avenue, students, and it was 1.30 in the morning, and they were going out to party, and I was, felt like a dad. Their, their dresses were up here, and their voices were up here, and, and they're getting in my car, and I'm driving them, and, and I felt like saying, get back to bed and study, and I'll tell, you know, give me your parents' phone number, and, you know. So anyway, I start to Uber drive, and I just want to share two stories with you. So last week, I picked up a young man called Brandon, and... Uh, it, it sounds a little interesting, but I picked him up from a strip club in Columbus. And so he gets in my car from strip club, and I started to talk to him, and he says, I say, so what do you do? He says, I edit skate videos. I'm like, that's interesting. He said, what do you do? I said, do you really want to know? <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, I'm a pastor of a church, as we pull out of the parking lot of a strip club. <laughs> and it gets really interesting. And so we drive back in the car and we're having a conversation. And by the time we get back to his house to drop him off, we're talking about the futility of human existence. What is life about? I'm just a vapor. What am I supposed to do with my life? He gets out of my car. He says, this is the best Uber drive I've ever had. I feel like I need to give you a hug. I said, this man, I'll be praying for you. He's Brandon, you can pray for him. All right? I met a young lady called Esther on New Year's Eve. I picked her up on Park Street in Columbus outside one of the bars. She wanted to go home. I'm driving her home, and I said, so how's your New Year's Eve? She said, ah, oh, it was great. I'm just, uh, just kind of hanging with this guy, seeing this guy. I said, all right, you mean you're dating him? No, we're not dating. I said, so you're just friends? No, we're not friends. Well, that sounds interesting. Has anyone heard this whole thing about seeing someone? I, I'm 42, I've lost, I'm getting uncool now. So, so seeing is not dating, but it's more than friends. Sounds suspicious to me. So I said, so how long have you been seeing this guy? For two, two and a half years? Hmm, okay, all right. I said, Esther, would you like to be dating him? And she looked at me, and she realized this is not an average Uber drive. And she said, uh, said, yeah, I would love to be dating him. I said, if you were sitting in my office in my real job, I said, I would have some, I'd like to talk to you about it. She said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, excellent. And she starts, she grabs a hold of my arm. She said, tell me, tell me what I should do. I said, well, listen, I'm not your pastor. I said, but I have a daughter. Her name's Evie. She's nine. I said, can I tell you what I would tell my daughter? And she grabs my arm. She says, please tell me if you were my dad, what should I do? I said, Esther, you are too good to be seeing a guy for two years. You deserve better. And she grabbed a hold of me. She hugged me. And we're in the... Uh, I took her through the drive-thru to get her Taco Bell. And I, uh, <laughs> so I drop, her off her, I drop her off her house. She doesn't get saved. She's not coming to our church. But I tell you something. Esther and Brandon 
are sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus wants to show them compassion. It wasn't my job to get a spiritual scalp. It wasn't my job to try and get them into my church. It wasn't my job to try and pour Kool-Aid down their throat. I mean, I'll, I'll talk to them. I will, listen, if he opens the door, I'm going to walk through it. But as I walk around this city, as I talk to more people, I see that there are sheep without a shepherd, and I know a shepherd that is compassionate. He's the good shepherd. Now the interesting thing is, is it's not just Esther and Brandon that need compassion. We need the same compassion of this good shepherd in here. We need, he wrestles with us the same way. We deal with resentment, we deal with anxiety, we deal with lust and pride and materialism inside the building. We need his compassion. And the good news is I hope that you have tasted and seen that he is the good shepherd. He's a He's so compassionate. He feels for us. He understands us. Second reason. The second reason why I have chosen Jesus to be my shepherd, and I think that you should as well, is that Jesus is a shepherd that sacrifices for his sheep. John chapter 10. If you want to read with me. John chapter 10. Any crew fans here this morning? Any crew fans? Is that not the ugliest jersey you have seen in your entire life? I know I'm a pastor. I'm not a fashion designer. But seriously, gave kids a bunch of crayons and said, design the new jersey. I volunteered at the Columbus Crew for the last 11 years. I pick up the balls before the game and I shoot off the confetti when we score goals. That's me. John chapter 10. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. We can stop there. Jesus is so committed so fully in to you and I that he was prepared to lay down his life for the sheep. In my opinion, that doesn't make him a good shepherd. It makes him a great shepherd. Some people would say that he's not a great shepherd. He's a crazy shepherd who lays down their life for sheep. And I want you to look this morning at the comparison between this hired hand, someone who is paid to look after the sheep. It's called obligation. They're paid to take care of you. Jesus is not obligated to take care of you. As a matter of fact, we are sinners and he should have thrown us to the wind. He should have got rid of us. Start again. But he's not. He's devoted to us. He lays down his life. It's interesting. Sometimes we allow other people to be the shepherd of our soul. Maybe it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, 
uh, an uncle, an aunt, a, a coach, some other human being to shepherd our souls. The problem with allowing another human to shepherd your soul, to oversee your soul, is that they are a sheep too. And at times, they are under obligation to take care of you. And when the when things get tough in their lives, when, when there's turbulence in their lives, when they're going through a hard time, they're going to say, listen, you're on your own. I've got my own junk to work on. And that's not bad. It's just that they are a human. They are a sheep just like you. Now, what's so special about Jesus? I'm about to blow your mind. Jesus is a shepherd that sacrificed the glory of heaven, his kingly robes. He sacrificed his godliness and took on humanness or sheepliness. Our shepherd, because he loves us and wanted to understand us, became a sheep. Our shepherd became a sheep. Think about it. John in, in the, uh, John the Baptist says, as Jesus approaches him to be baptized, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus sacrificed so that he could understand what it means to be tempted, what it means to be lonely, what it means to be isolated, what it means to be depressed, what it means to be uh, rejected. Our shepherd understands exactly what we go through. Because he sacrificed to be like us. I think that's awesome. So when I pray to him, have you ever talked to someone about something that's going on in your life and you're pouring your heart out to them and they're, they're nodding their head, but you know that the words are just hitting their forehead and bouncing off, you know? Have you ever talked to your, your wife or your, hus- or your husband and you're typing on the computer, and or you're watching television. My wife like, tries to talk to me when I watch sport, and I have this in-belt manism where I can put my head down and my eyes up and watch television, and I'm really watching the game, and I'm able to have a conversation with her, but it's not really a conversation. Is anyone guilty of that? No man is, is, is going to put his hand up. He'll die. <laughs> yes, love. Yes, love. Yes, love. And I am not overseeing her soul. Actually, I'm wishing she would be quiet and leave the room so I can watch the game. I'm a terrible shepherd at times. But God knows my wife. He loves her. He understands her. He's laid down his life for her. The third reason why I've chosen Jesus to be my shepherd is that he sees me, he seeks me, and he saved me. Luke chapter 15, in verse 1. I love this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. Just think about that. Think about that. Think about if that is true, how that should change our churches. Think about it. Think about that. We moved our church from Gehanna. It's beautiful little street, Mill Street. So quaint. We bought this building it's not in Bexley. We, we tell you that because we want you to like us. It's actually, it's actually in Columbus. right? So from our building, you can throw a rock and hit a mansion, but you can throw a rock and hit a crack house. That's the truth. That's where our church is. It's not in Bexley. It's in Columbus. But when we moved our church from Gahanna to Columbus, a lady came up to me in my church, 
And she said, I will come with you to the new building if you promise to lock the doors. What do you mean? What do you mean, lock the doors? So homeless people can't come in. I wanted to he- I, I've never wanted to headbutt a lady in my life, but I kind of wanted... I was, uh, you know... And I said, I said to her, listen, I'll lock the doors when Jesus thinks it's okay to lock the doors. Are you all right with that? She said, yeah, okay. All right. The scripture here says, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. Anyone convicted? I'm convicted. Because I live in a spiritual ghetto. I live in a Christian ghetto. Most of the people in my life say praise the Lord all the time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm praying for you. Praying for you. And I just... And I'm... You know, that's another sermon. (laughs) They're grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man... What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Listen to me. When I read this passage of scripture, I have major problems with this concept. Which one of you, if I gave you $100, and you're outside, and you're holding your $100 in your hand, it's all $1, $100, and it's windy outside, and one of those dollars flies out and goes down the road, which one of you is going to chase that $1 down? Here, give us, give us can you hold this $99? I'm going to chase this one. Which one of you is going to do that? Heck No! Terrible business. Leave 99 sheep in the open country, it says. And go after one lost sheep. That's not pragmatic. That's not smart. That's not good business sense. I say screw the lost sheep. Leave it to itself. I hope it gets eaten by a wolf. It's dumb. Right? That's, that's what we think. That's what we're thinking here. It's a stupid sheep. Jesus says, listen, this is how I think. I'm going after that lost sheep. Now, if I've got to go after the lost sheep... When I find it, I'm not picking it up on my shoulders and carrying it home. I'm going to kick it like a football all the way home. All right? And when it gets home, I'm calling all my friends and we're having rack of lamb for dinner. And say, listen, just to set an example, no sheep will leave here. The 99 sheep will see this one sheep. I'll make an example of it. No more escapees. That's if I was your shepherd. That's if I was your savior. To make the point, Jesus tells two other stories in the same area of scripture. He tells a story about the lost coin. A woman loses a coin from her bracelet. She can't find it. She turns her entire house over to try to find this one lost coin. Jesus tells a story about a lost son. Jerk son takes his inheritance, goes to Vegas, parties and parties and parties and parties until there's nothing left and he comes home, groveling home. Wants to be one of his dad's servants. His dad doesn't make him a servant. His dad puts like an Armani jacket on him and kills the lost sheep. No, kills the, <laughs> kills the sheep, kills the fatted calf and has a party. Jesus says in three parables, I'm not like you. I'm not a shepherd. I care differently. I see you. I seek you. I want to save you. 
That's what he wants to say to us. This is the hope that he wants to def- us to defend. We have a God that sees us. He seeks us. He wants to say us. He knows me. We know. We all know the story about the fact that every hair on our head has numbered. Every day that we'll live, he knows. It's not just a marketing ploy. It's true. He sees you to the point that right now, you're sitting there and he, know, he, he knows what's going on inside your head. He loves you. The last reason why Jesus is my shepherd, the overseer of my soul, is that Jesus is a shepherd who leads me. Now, it's easy to acknowledge the fact that he's compassionate, the fact that he sacrifices. It's easy to acknowledge that he sees and seeks and saves me because these are all things that he does for me. Bring it on, Jesus. Keep it coming. This is awesome. But then it gets to the point where he wants me to follow him. Well, I don't like this. This is where it gets, this, this is where it's inconvenient for me because what if I want to go over there and Jesus is saying go over there? All of a sudden, I want another savior. Let's try Buddha out. You know, let's try something else out. Let's try some other, that's a different, no. Someone bought me a plastic Jesus. And it's like an eight ball Jesus. It's plastic and it glows in the dark. And when I don't want to pray to the real Jesus, I just shake the plastic Jesus and it gives me an answer. I turn it over and it answers my prayers. Now, I never use it. it was, I preached a sermon on this. And, but this is the way we treat Jesus at times when the Jesus, the, the real Jesus, the, the one that rose from the dead and whose spirit wants to dwell within us and, and, and guide and lead us when he starts to talk to us and we don't like what he's saying, we go and we find a pink glowing ball Jesus and we shake that sucker until we get the answer that we like you see leading requires following John chapter 10 verse 25 says this I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Being obedient and being led by God, being led by his spirit are the marks of being a sheep that is following the shepherd. We call it, uh, we call following discipleship. I mean, that's the Christianese word. But when this discipleship happens over an extended period of time. The fruit of that is hope. And that's what Peter is talking about that we should defend. He's saying when you have followed Christ and you've made it a part of your rhythm and the seasons of your life through good and through bad. And this is what Psalm 23 says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's not a cool place to be. Even though I've laid, laid down by green pastures. Even though I've had to be confronted by tables where my enemies are. It says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word dwell. The word dwell means to be truly present. It doesn't mean just to be in the same room. You can be... Go to any restaurant in America and sit down and you will see that there are are some people who are in love. I remember when I first fell in love with my wife, Melanie, and I could have stared at her face for eternity. I felt like that. I was just... 
the, her eyes or her hair I want to smell her skin and, and that would have been a bit spooky but you know I just I was so in love with her I was so in love with her now I've been married for 20 years and like have you ever been to a restaurant and you've seen uh, two people who are at the same table eating in the same restaurant but they're not in the same room I mean they're present physically present but they're not emotionally or spiritually present and all across this great nation of ours churches are filled with people who are physically present they're in the room but it's been months years since they have been dwelling with God in the presence of their shepherd I mean it's, it's, it's all we have is religion and he's wanting to say to you he's saying I'm over here I'm over here I'm over here and he's not waiting for you to be in the church He's doing it every day of your life. I'm over here. I'm over here. And one of the things, one of the things he requires of you as a sheep is to acknowledge your sheepliness. You are not a shepherd. And you want to shepherd your own life. And he says, I need for you to acknowledge that you are a sheep and I am a shepherd. The Christian word for this is repentance. And we get all caught up in repentance. Because repentance is about turning away from temptation. I am addicted to Apple products. Anyone, anyone with me? I resist them. I resist them. And then this week I did this. I just couldn't help it. It's an iPad Pro and, and uh, the devil made me do it. <laughs> That's not true. My executive pastor did. It's close to the devil. <laughs> I'm joking. He's not here this morning. I can say that. But you know, sometimes, sometimes uh, there's temptations in our life and God calls us to repent. And there's this, we want it so bad, it's so difficult, he's such a cosmic killjoy, he's making me turn away from this thing that I want. This situation, this job, this girl, this guy, this, this, whatever it is, this temptation, he's making me, he's saying, don't go that way. He's saying, don't do this, I'm trying to lead you, because I love you, I'm compassionate, I'm trying to take care of you. And we're so caught up in turning away from the thing that we want that we forget that repentance isn't just about turning away from something. If we're being honest and we really wrestle with this, repentance is about turning towards someone. Think about that. Repentance isn't just turning away from something. It's turning towards someone. And the thing about a disciple is we weigh it up. Turning away from an apple product for the obedience of taking care and loving or being present, truly present with Jesus. This is discipleship. This is what being led by Him is all about. Some of you are so caught up in repentance and the cosmic killjoy aspect of discipleship when you really and truly have to turn towards the overseer of your soul. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? The Lord is my shepherd. He was David's shepherd. Let me say it another way. Melanie is my wife. And I know her. I love her. I'm committed to her. I, I mean, I know her intimately for a very long time. And I could bring my wife here this morning and you could see her, you could listen to her. She's amazing. And you could read her blog and you could... Uh, I mean, you could really get to, you could study her. It doesn't matter how much you know about my wife, she will never be your wife. 
She's my wife. Now, some of you here this morning, I mean, you have all these books in your house about God. I mean, you know what God sounds like. I mean, you come to this location and you hang out with people who claim to be shepherded by God, but you, He's not your shepherd, He's the person next to you, shepherd. He's not your shepherd, hasn't been for quite some time. Maybe you're here this morning and your friend brought you, and I'm not talking about joining this church, I'm not talking about joining Christianity, I'm talking about something way bigger than that, your life. Jesus Christ wants to be the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. He loves you. He cares for you. Maybe you're here and you used to have a relationship, but now you have religion. It's been so long since the Word of God felt fresh. It all sounds cliche. It all sounds dead. It all sounds boring. I mean, the music that we play at church now is just... It's just... Everything has lost its power. And just out of religion, you find yourself coming and sitting in the seats, but you don't know what you would do to replace this. It's religion. It's out of spiritual habit. And this morning, He's calling you right now to repent. And that's what you need to do this morning. Turn away from the lifestyle that is, has death, has nothing but death to offer. Continue down this road. And you become bitter, you become cynical, you become complacent, you become tired. Your heart becomes hard, the soil of your life becomes fallow. And what's on offer right now is that the Lord sent me this morning. I want to be back here for years. You're stuck with me right now, and He wanted me to say this to you. If this is you, if the Lord is not the overseer of your soul... And right now you say, Simon, I want to turn toward Him. I want to submit my life to Him. I want to make a decision to trust Him. Whether it's for the first time, or whether it's the first time in a long time. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, Simon, that's me. I need to be refreshed. I need to recommit myself to the overseer of my soul, Jesus Christ. Is there anyone like that here this morning? If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, Simon... Would you pray for me? I see that hand. Anyone else? I see those hands. Anybody else? Amen. I see. I'm going to pray for you guys in a second. Uh, one of my favorite songs, there's a line in it that challenges me. Uh, it goes like this. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take, take and seal it. Seal it for thy court above. Here's my confession this morning. I'm a 42-year-old pastor of a church and prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I feel it every day I am prone to wander. Prone to wander, to leave the God that I love. And He leads me. He leads me to practice this 
this, this confession. Lord, here's my heart. Would you take and would you seal my heart? Would you shepherd my soul? Would you oversee me? Would you be my shepherd? Would it be bigger than culture? Would it be bigger than creed? Would it be bigger than family tradition? Would it be bigger than life itself? That when this vapor that's called Simon Forsythe, when it disappears from the world, would I find myself at rest in you? Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, for every brother and sister that raised their hand here this morning, for every brother and sister who's stale, your word has lost its power. Worship has been given to other things in their lives, other relationships in their lives. They have handed the shepherding of their soul to something inadequate. And they've lifted their hand here this morning in faith. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would rush in, just like you would leave the 99 sheep to meet these people where they're at right now. Not to make them feel guilty or make them feel shame. The Lord, to wrap them up in your love, to say, I'm here, to carry them home, to rejoice that which was stale, that which was complacent, that which was lost, has been found. For the last time this morning, who is your shepherd? Who is the overseer of your soul? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is my shepherd and will be for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to our sermon podcast. If you are interested in learning more about Quest, who we are and what we do, please visit gotoquest.org slash connect. If you are interested in supporting Quest financially, you can give quickly and easily by visiting gotoquest.org slash giving. This page will walk you through all the options to give online, via text message, or through the PushPay app. If you are loving Quest and the podcast, let us know by tagging Quest in your Facebook or Twitter post and use the hashtag GoToQuest. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to check back in next week for another great message.